from Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio, focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Hour as we launch our 24th year on the air. Appreciate you all being with us over that time, and uh, we are just pleased and honored to have Judge Stephen Basha join us, a uh, retired judge from Yolo County Superior Court. Actually, they just call it Yolo Superior Court, don't they? They don't do. put the county in there. No, they don't. I'm not sure why. Pull that mic a little bit closer. You have the gold mic today. It only recognizes truth. Oh, well, <laughs> we could be in trouble, Bob. Now, I always ask a judge the question, it says in the Bible, judge not. <laughs> how, do you, how do you square that? <laughs> That's a tough one. It's a t- uh, I, I, can I think of that a yeah, lot. Yeah, I can imagine how difficult that is. But my job is to uh, be a judge on certain decisions. Right. And uh, I do juvenile law, and I try to put myself in the place of the people that are in front of me because uh, there but for the grace of God could be I. Yeah, yeah. And my grandma said I was going to grow up to be a juvenile delinquent, mm-hmm. so— and there you and have it. Was she wrong? When I'm in juvenile delinquency court well, there now. You are. So. There you are every day, yeah. Uh, we are with uh, Judge Stephen Basha, and we should tell you, did I pronounce that right, Basha? Close enough? Sure. Um, how do you pronounce it? Well, I pronounce it Basha, but Basha. I've had okay. bosses that I've worked for for years call me Basha. Basha. I'll say Basha. Uh, Thank for you. sure. Uh, the, the Red Mass uh, is coming up on Wednesday, November the 2nd at the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament downtown. And uh, Honorable Stephen Basha will, is going to be the honoree at the dinner. The, the, uh, you'll receive the Thomas More, St. Thomas More Award uh, for distinguished, uh, distinguished work in the legal field. That's qu- quite an honor. And the list is... Short and uh, very distinguished. Well, much more distinguished than me, Bob. The past uh, <laughs> awardees, that's for sure. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a real honor. And uh, I, I remember uh, we used to do something here called the, the Catholic Film Series. Uh, Bishop Soto instituted it. And we would have it at the Crest Theater in downtown Sacramento on a Sunday afternoon. And everybody could come for free. We would pass the tickets out on the air or whatever. And and I think they might have to buy popcorn. But other than that, and we would have a movie. And then Bishop and I would be down on the stage afterwards. And I would field the questions and, and interview Bishop. Uh, and we had uh, I, one, of the, one of them. We had It's a Wonderful Life. We had The Way, the, uh, the, the, the Camino de Santiago, the, ah, the walk, you know. Yes. And uh, we had uh, uh, Man for All Seasons, yes. which won the you know the Best Picture Award. And a Man for All Seasons really brought a crowd and also brought a lot of questions afterwards. Like, how far do you have to go to prove your faith, to prove your, you know, your worth? I mean, he went all the way, just as Christ did. Yes, that's a good question. Yeah. It really is. And yeah. uh, he just had to uh, swear some loyalty, I believe, at the end. Yeah, basically, yeah. To to the king, and he refused to do that. And I think it required him to put the king above the pope. Right. And right. so he wasn't. He, he wasn't didn't want to do, do that. that. Yeah. And uh, we as Catholics in this country have had a few times where uh, I, I, I recall the— uh, in, about 100 years ago in the state of Oregon, they banned Catholic schools. Oh. And it ended up at the Supreme Court. The governor's name was Pierce. The Klan was very active. And they called us papists, you know, and we were, we were loyal to Rome. My dad was a little boy then. He was about 11 years old then when this happened. I don't know if he was going to Catholic school or not, but he was living in Portland at the time. And, and it the governor's name was Pierce, and so the case was, it was like the the, the little sisters of Joseph and Mary <laughs> v. Pierce. <laughs> Who's going to win that? Yeah. And it went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. It was a unanimous decision in favor of the, the little sisters. All right. And they reinstituted the Catholic schools in the, in the state of Oregon. But that was how 
It was it was a legislative act. What was the basis for it? The Klan. Well, the basis was it was worded in a it was worded in a way where I think they avoided the the word Catholic, uh-huh. and and just but it eliminated any. I can't remember this distinction, but it would eliminate any private schools that some, 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 it obviously just fit the Catholic Church. I see. Yeah. And Wow. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't so aware of that. It, you know, most people aren't. I think it's because I'm an Oregonian that I uh, or was born in Oregon that, that I, I'm aware of that one. And my dad told me about it, too, you know, and, and I've always that stuck with me that it wasn't that long ago. Really? It wasn't? Yeah. And uh, uh, Catholics have, we've paid our dues. But we've been very fortunate, too, to be in a country that, I mean, I never really felt put upon uh, being Catholic. I, I went to public schools in a small town in Northern California, and uh, it was a small town at the time. And there were only two or three of us. There was Betty O'Brien and, and uh, Peter Schultz, and that was it. You know, and, and they'd, when we were talking about the Inquisition and stuff in world history, it was like, there aren't any Catholics in the room, are there? <laughs> you know, it was like, it was difficult. But other than that, you know, I was free to worship, free to do whatever we wanted to do. Well, and, I grew up Episcopalian, mm-hmm. and then I converted to Catholicism when I married a uh, Catholic lady. Mm-hmm. And so, and I've been Catholic ever since. It wasn't a bolt of lightning? Well, it depends on how it you might view have been the a bolt of uh, yes, <laughs> what my uh, my late wife said. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm happy. I'm a Catholic. I try to be faithful. I still got work to do, Bob. That we all do. We all do. I'll tell you. I, I when when I was probably when I was in college, maybe high school, when I pretty much had everything figured out. You know. <laughs> And you figured I'd look at my my mom and dad and 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 think you know they're over the hill but they've they've got, you've got it all figured out and and the, the longer you live the the, the more difficult it, you know there are these questions that don't go away right questions that don't have answers starting with infinity and <laughs> those well, things I taught math too and tried to, tried to explain for a few years try to explain infinity or. You know, the question is, well, how am I going to use algebra uh-huh. when I graduate from high school? Yeah, yeah. And that's not quite as difficult a question as others that we face. Yeah. But I'll tell young people in front of me in court because they'll come in with, uh, and some of them with what attitude, about 15, 14, 15, mm-hmm. 16 years old. I said, you think you got it all now, and you're going to get smarter and smarter until you're age 25. And then you'll realize that you don't know quite as much as you think yeah. and it get you get it gets worse every year and when you get as old as me you you're lucky you can get up and get dress yourself <laughs> yeah you know and and, and uh, having kids was a a big change in terms of just in terms of the way you viewed the world you know um that all of a sudden you're all, all kinds of different things are are happening and i don't i i, I won't say conservative versus liberal but you get more like your parents, you know, you, you, you're concerned about things that maybe you weren't too concerned about. I mean, we just, we we just had an incident today in my hometown where it was last night. We got, uh, we have, we have a a three girls in college, but we have a son who's a senior in high school at, at Davis high school. And the word came out that there had been a email threat made against both the high school and one of the junior high schools. And, the, the, the nature of the, th- the threat, all we know is there was an email that made a threat that something was going to happen Thursday at 9 a.m. And we, we don't know, we we're not privy to the email, so we don't know if it was a specific, like it's going to, this is going to happen or that's going to happen, but something Today at 8 a.m.? T- today at 8 a, uh, 9 a.m. 9 a.m. And, and so, and it's homecoming week, and they've got all these things planned, you know, and my son, you know, normal teenager, you know, like school, but if he got a day off, he wouldn't <laughs> complain. He was complaining. Oh no, we're, we were going to have this on every day this week. I guess they have some kind of a theme, and the kids dress a certain way, or they, you know, and and, and then Friday they have the football game, and Saturday they have the dance, right. and and so this Thursday was one of the the big theme days, and um, he already had the garb, whatever he was going to wear, 
probably sunglasses and some kind of a hat and you know a letter jacket or something you know that and he wasn't going to get to do it you know and he goes to bed and we all assume it's probably a hoax right probably a hoax um but they have to take it seriously and we got another message at 6 a.m this morning of kind of repeating the previous message do not come to school um stay home and then about 9 nine fifteen, we finally got the message saying it's all clear they have arrested two 14 year olds who attend one of the junior high schools that that you know there was no no gender no where they go to school right. and it 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 maybe leaked to something they didn't want to when it said the home was searched, which they only mentioned one home. You know, it didn't say homes were searched. It just said the home was searched. Maybe they identified where the email came from. Maybe that's the home. Or maybe they're two in the same family. Um, and I thought, I thought about you, and I thought about those two 14-year-olds, and... It was a hoax, according to the police. It was still a threat. But it was still a threat, and it was one that obviously had to be taken seriously in this day and age, or in any day and age. But I, I thought about those kids, and what not knowing anything about them, right? Not knowing if they've been in trouble or if this is just something that they think is a lark or a prank or a, a Halloween joke kind of thing, and them not realizing just how serious that is and i mean it was like it, my immediate prayer was that this doesn't become a defining moment in their lives you know uh, it, it for bad for negative right hopefully it'll be a defining moment where something got them on the right track well there isn't one of us that hasn't done something that we look back and say why did i do well, that exactly um, but some of these things, and it really is uh, um, related to social media right. being so prevalent, having sure. phones and having uh, Internet and using it, it creates a, perhaps a lot more issues than you and I faced uh, when yeah. we were young. Yep. And so, you know, let's take those two 14-year-olds. They'll be in court. They'll be in juvenile court mm -hmm. if um, it, it goes to the prosecution, if the right. district attorney files something. And they'll be in front of a juvenile court judge. And uh, I've been that judge mm -hmm. and still am a visiting judge in Sacramento a lot of times. And what you want to do is deal with it seriously but not make it so that this is going to define your life. This is fixable, but here's – and we've got to figure out how to do it. And their attorneys will – work with them, mm -hmm. typically. I have great respect for those attorneys that represent both the prosecution, the people, and the uh, young people that mm -hmm. are in front of a judge uh, trying to work out what the right thing is. And the first thing is, obviously, in juvenile delinquency court, juvenile justice court, they call it now, is uh, public safety. Uh -huh. But the next thing is rehabilitation. Right, And that's why I liked and still like being a juvenile court judge because there's hope. It is something that isn't, doesn't need to mar them for the rest of the life, their life depending on the significance of the offense they're accused of. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's, uh, and, we, and too often now, I've, I've had it in Sacramento Juvenile Justice Court, murder or attempted sure, murder. Sure. That is, that can be defining depending on how yeah. old. And uh, public safety public is safety. coming number one. It, Absolutely. And in this case, uh, and we don't know the details, and and unfortunately all the press releases didn't use that famous word alleged. Right. Um, it would just said it, they've got, they got them, you know, yeah. but at least they weren't named, although probably by now half the people in town know who they are because it's a small town. But if, it, if they truly planned something and just got caught – then you have a much different public safety issue than if it was completely a hoax from, from, from the get-go. Absolutely. Or if they planned something and uh, were stopped before it developed, that's different than if they planned something and it took off right. and actually right. happened. Right. So in some ways it could be better for them that it was stopped 
before it created injury to people right. or property or both. Right. right. So we have new laws now about, I think it was passed by initiative, um, about treating juveniles uh, as adults. Yes. And in some cases, it's raised, I know, in my hometown, the ire because of a, a famous case, right. uh, a very famous case. Um, but it seems as if most of us, and I know the church was in favor of it, uh, was in favor of this law. It, and and then it come, kind of comes right in your face. And, and you, because it was, it, was, it was the same thing. Uh, we, we don't want to throw away the key with a juvenile. Right. Which seems to be the overriding, and yet sometimes the crime is so horrendous that you, your human nature does want to throw away the key, I guess. Well, the, the law you're referring to changed it from the district attorney could file uh, the case as an adult uh-huh. right. to um, leaving it to a juvenile court judge to have a hearing make a finding on five criteria that includes uh, the complexity of the case, the background of the child, um, whether they've been involved in juvenile court before, how is, uh, what's their rehabilitation mm-hmm. been, and I, I can't remember all of them, but we have to make those decisions. Um, and then the law got changed, and this is something else that right. has uh, come up in Davis. Right. Where they said if you're under 16, right. you you At the time uh, of the crime. of the time of the crime, you cannot be tried as an adult, right. and so that has created um, further um, reflection on that particular law, which wasn't passed by initiative. That was passed by the legislature and signed by um, then Governor Brown, mm-hmm. and it remains to be seen. Um, whether that law is going to stay, but that's so. If we have these two 14-year-olds, and it was a serious, um, uh, it, it had serious repercussions right. beyond what we think we know right. now. Right, they couldn't be tried as an adult. Right, right. Which, in some sense, thinking back to your own children being fourteen, my right. children being fourteen, they um, and you and I, when we were fourteen, yeah. did a bunch of stupid stuff. That's right. Um, some of which we really didn't intend the consequences that happened, particularly when our parents got a hold of us. We didn't want those consequences. Yeah, yeah. But so, I mean, I've had young people as young as 10 in juvenile court. Wow. Charged with arson. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, and it was, I believe at the time, um, uh, you know, just a— young kid doing something foolish and so we gave him a chance i said i'm gonna put it out six months you go to a fire station and and helped out learn about mm-hmm. fire safety get get an education on what could happen with fires and let's come back and let's see and i had the impression that uh after that and the, the attorneys were on board with it as well that um he had learned his lesson Wow. So we dismissed a case. So you can do that can do when it. when there's that sense and when you've got the attorneys um, and the parents um, all working together. Yeah, I, I remember a case up a number of years ago up in the foothills and a group of teenage boys out fooling around and they get up on an overpass and start chunking stuff down at the cars thinking it's funny oh we just missed that one kind of thing and right. one of them landed and yep. i think somebody died or somebody yes. was seriously injured suddenly it goes from sort of boys will be boys prank to homicide absolutely yeah and uh, well i remember i think there were two there was one down in the central valley right, right. and those young people i think uh, at least one or two of them went on to prison right because um, they were a little bit older and uh, and uh, and it's sad yeah. because two families and maybe even more have been directly exactly. drastically impacted by those that um, action yeah. of those uh, young people and we have you know as judges we have to keep that in mind too because there's 
a constitutional uh, provision that says the uh, victim's rights. Right. So we listen to what uh, the victims have to say yeah. um, and uh, go from there. Do juveniles have the same same constitutional rights in court and the same right to an attorney or a public defender, et cetera, et cetera? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And we need to be mindful of those as well. And then there are there are certain other limits on them depending on the age and uh, and the particular offense uh, that they're in front of of uh, a judge for. So, yeah. and then we have the dependency cases, which where sure. the parents have maybe not done what we wanted them to do or done something <coughs> drastic, and we pull the kids away. And then mm-hmm. you have young children who, through no fault of their own are traumatized right right and so we need to be in those cases we need to be mindful of that and um some of the happiest times in court when the parents figure it out take advantage Mm -hmm. of the services that are provided listen to their attorneys listen to the social workers fix it and we can reunite yeah and then if they don't another happy occasion is when we have an adoption Mm -hmm. and uh um then we know that that child is most times, not always, going to a very safe, stable, loving family. So when, when children have to be removed from the home at any age and there isn't an immediate grandma or aunt or somebody that the court feels comfortable with, do, do they go into foster care? or? Um, most often, yeah. yeah. The, either that, if there's not... The, there's an effort to identify a, 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 a safe foster home with a relative or with somebody that knows the family. Right. If that can't be achieved, then for, at least for a period of time, they, they may have to go to a group home, yeah. children's receiving sure, home sure. or something like that. So when does, when does a, a, a CASA, a court-appointed special advocate, come into the picture? Uh, hopefully fairly soon. The proceedings start with the initial proceeding, and we make a determination. Let's uh, um, let's say uh, the children have been removed. There's what we call a detention hearing, mm-hmm. a hearing to see whether that there was enough prima facie evidence that that would hold that that mm-hmm. detention was appropriate. Once we get past that, and if the children weren't removed, sometimes it's it's brought to the court even though the children aren't removed. We have what we call jurisdiction, find out whether the juvenile court should hear the case and go forward and then disposition what's going to be the outcome. And the judge will make, uh, with the help of the social worker and the attorneys, will uh, make a decision as to what kind of services the parents get, what kind of services the children get. It's usually about that time if a CASA is going to be appointed or after that, depending on how long the case is going to go on, that a CASA will be appointed. And in Yolo County, and I've seen it in Sacramento County, they are a huge influence Mm -hmm. on those kids because they're mentors. They're positive role models that the kids feel um, cared for Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh, loved and supported. can't say enough good things about uh, CASAs. Yeah, my, my wife was a CASA for, for a while uh, All right. and, and just had a, had a wonderful experience. I uh, think most CASAs do. I yeah. haven't heard of one CASA saying, gee, I'm sorry, I yeah. was a CASA. Are you familiar with the Exodus Project that the diocese has started? It's, uh, um, it's, it's sort of a mentoring, but it's, it's connecting people with those not in a juvenile, uh, but uh, adults who are about to be released, generally from county jail, ah. and so they'll have a one-on-one, helping them to get housing and jobs and uh, reconnect with family and to stay off the street and stay out of whatever trouble they got in before. A relatively new program. Um, Rabbi Seth um, is is uh, another Davis site is is in charge of of the uh, program and we've had him on the show a few times it's it's it was started by Bishop Soto okay and uh, but it obviously works with the with the prisons and and the the courts 
Yeah, I'm not familiar with it, it, it but it sounds like a really good thing. Brand new, so yeah. There years ago, they used to have a, a program in Yolo County, and I think it was actually nationwide, where kind of like a casa, mm-hmm. uh, with people would sign up to volunteer to be a mentor to uh, um, someone on probation, uh-huh. an adult. Yes. Yep. And uh, try to help them and guide them right. to make good choices, which is uh, sounds a bit similar to the does, Exodus yeah. projects. So, yeah. Um, so those are all good things because we all need a little helping hand That's every right. now and then. My wife will tell you I need a lot of helping hands, <laughs> but um, you know, just to make good decisions. Yeah. And sometimes uh, I think the people that come out of prison are at a disadvantage in trying to find a decent job, a place to live. I think sort. most times, I mean, if, if things were tough before, yeah. now with a record, I mean, I look at, we just moved uh, my daughter is, into a off-campus housing at UC Santa Cruz, so in the town, and I basically had to prove I was a millionaire before they'd, they'd, <laughs> they'd let her into the apartment, you know, and I thought, how does... Anybody, uh, given that I'm not a millionaire, uh, how does anybody rent an apartment down here? You know, yeah. and, and then you think about somebody that maybe has a record or has a bad rental history or a, a bad credit history. Uh, you just go on and on. You think, wow, no wonder we have so many homeless people. Well, that and if they aren't, if they don't have a criminal record, but they haven't had experience in dealing with some of the complexities of government and to right. get certain benefits or certain right. services, that's a cha- that can be a challenge too. Right. Yeah. So, in the juvenile court, if somebody's convicted, it's they're sent to a different type of a facility than state prison. Yeah. Well, for the, the most part. For the most, well, it it depends. On some, and there's different levels of what we call disposition in juvenile court. They can be on informal probation, which would be six months uh, probation. There, there's even, an, there's even a, a, a less formal one. It's, it, uh, we call it 654.2. They can be on probation. They don't even have to enter a plea. We give them a chance to do certain services, and if they do them, the case is dismissed, the record's sealed. Would these be always misdemeanors? Um, yes, mostly. Yeah. Um, there may be on, on some occasions, there may be felonies where it wasn't what we would call a serious felony, uh-huh. I guess. Yeah. Um, but most of the time, Bob, they are misdemeanors. And then there's another, there's another six months one where they enter um, a plea and um, admission of responsibility, we call it juvenile court. And then they would have six months to do certain things, but they're on they're on a little more formal probation where the probation office is checking up on them. Then there's formal probation, which is wardship, mm-hmm. which could be in place till they're 21. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a serious enough offense and wardship, in the past they could have been sent to a, to. Uh, what used to be called CYA, right, then right. it was called uh, Division of Juvenile Justice, and that was a state facility. Right. The state, um, a couple of years ago, sent that back to the counties right. to establish their own. But it's it's supposedly separate and apart from Juvenile Hall. It's um, I think they call it VOIA is the acronym mm-hmm. in uh, Sacramento. And they have certain services that they give, that which would be similar to um, what was done at the at uh, the state facility. And there's um, a requirement that they be checked up on every six months to see how they're doing, and that can have advantages to them on getting released at certain point. So they don't sent anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they were going to close the uh, state facilities either this year or next year. In case of serious crime, can they be held past age 25? Well, if they they aren't sent to state prison, you know, if they aren't tried as an adult, um, no. Okay. But they are on formal probation Mm -hmm. until 25, Uh and if they mess up, they could go back to that state facility or Mm -hmm. now back to the county facility. 
We're talking with uh, Judge Stephen Basha, the uh, re- to be the recipient. You've already been named. You've, you've There's already, still time for Bishop time. to change his they mind. Could, they could. Uh, let's see what. How would they? Let's see. Yes. It wouldn't be an impeachment. I'm trying to think what that would be. A recession. Careful, yeah, a careful <laughs> reflection on what the, what was actually made. We have a new candidate came along. <laughs> That's right. He's uh, will uh, be honored at the uh, bench and bar award dinner uh, following the Red Mass. Uh, the Red Mass takes place November second. Uh, Bishop Soto will be the principal celebrant. It's a mass for lawyers and judges and um, people in government and and really anybody it's a beautiful mass it is i would i uh, would frequently run into some of my jewish friends at at the red mass really you know and uh, they just i think i i think i saw maybe gray davis there one time when he was governor okay and and uh, um it's a beautiful it's a beautiful mass it is it you traditionally sort of coincided with the beginning of a Supreme Court term, as I understand it, usually in October, not right. not November. It's uh, All Souls Day this year, November the 2nd. I think it's a little later than uh, the ones that I've attended yeah, in the yeah. past. I think you're right. They used to be like the first week of October. Uh, right, right, yeah. So tell us about your, about your, how did you get into the law? Well, I was uh, a teacher. Mm-hmm. A math teacher primarily, and to, uh, did you grow up in this area? Uh, no, in Michigan. Oh, okay. And uh, in three Michigan schools, uh, the last one I taught at was in the Thumb of Michigan, mm-hmm. and I happened to be an athletic coach. And um, there's the Thumb and the UP, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's the Thumb. And the UP is up here, up way up high. The second, another peninsula, and. Uh, uh, so I coached uh, the last couple, the last few years of my uh, high school coaching career. I coached varsity basketball mm-hmm. and varsity baseball. I did better as a coach of varsity baseball for a couple reasons. I didn't know what I was doing, yeah. and we had a couple <laughs> all-state pitchers, well, and that, that made that makes a whole <laughs> lot of difference. I always said that I think I could have managed the '54 Yankees. <laughs> you might have been able to. Um, Mantle, did, Maris, uh, yeah. you're up. And, and you had Whitey Ford. Whitey and, Ford. Yeah. Moose Scourin. Um Bob Turley, was he pitching then? I think Turley was pitching then. Wasn't he an Oriole, though? I thought he was a, I thought he was a Yankee. He may have ended up. You know, they moved around a little they bit. They did a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And then I coached basketball, and I thought I knew something about basketball, but my record wouldn't reflect <laughs> that. And so there were a couple things. There was just an opportunity to um, – I had taken the law boards once and um, didn't do well. And so I, uh, that's when I took a new job as a varsity basketball coach and, uh, and other sports. The law boards were like a, a pre-law kind of? Yeah, the LSAT. Uh, oh, aptitude. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um, didn't you have to take them? Yeah. yeah. Um, you must have done a lot better than I did. <laughs> I, I I didn't I didn't do well the first time, but then a friend of mine said he was going to take him, and he wanted me to take him. I said okay, so I studied again and took him. I did better, and then I had a choice, and I actually prayed about it, hmm. and um, was got the got the word to go to law school. After the first semester, when I was studying ten hours a day, and I did okay that first semester, probably did the best I did through law school. I was devastated because I knew I had to stay had to, and go, oh, go yeah. through law school. Yeah. Was this so, in Ann Arbor or where were you? No, this was – oh, no, I got rejected from the University of Michigan <laughs> as soon as they cashed the admissions check. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, this was in a, a new law school in Lansing, Michigan oh, called uh, Thomas M. Cooley Law School. But not associated with Michigan State? It's not associated yeah. with Michigan State. It's now associated, oddly enough, with Western Michigan University. Oh, wow. Michigan State University is associated with Detroit College of Law. Oh, Wow. For Who whatever knows? reason, yeah. and Cooley Law School has expanded now. It's one of the larger law schools in the country, and their their approach was they'd let just about anybody in, um, but you had to prove yourself, and they would do all they could to kick you out. Right, right. And uh, somehow they missed me, and uh, so that's I ended up. They there. wanted that high bar passage rate, right? <laughs> well, they they worked us. Yeah, um, yeah. and. Um, uh, I'm grateful for the education I received. Uh, so, and then I went from there to uh, work. I, I clerked for an attorney 
and then he hired me, and then my wife, who was from California, didn't like Michigan weather, mm-hmm. and her family was out here, so we moved out here, and that's how I ended up in California. Wow. Where, 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 where was your first stop in California? Orville. Okay. And uh, the gentleman I worked for and I didn't really hit it off, so I ended up in, uh, in El Centro, California, Imperial oh County, goodness. in the county council's office, and that kind of got me going, and I stayed 22 years in county council in, work. In El Centro? No, I, sp- I spent a year and a quarter there, then I came up to uh, Sacramento and was in the Sacramento County Council's office for 11 and a half or 11 and a quarter mm-hmm. years, and then uh, eventually ended up in Yolo County, and I was your your Yolo County Council for a few years. Didn't yes, cause you I, any trepidation? No, no, not at all, <laughs> not at all. I I uh, had a, uh, some dealings with a um, in El Nail Centro. Um, oh. I was I was just doing some uh, some legal research for for part time you know contract basis uh, for a law firm, and uh, they sent me to El Centro and. That's a that's a different part of of California for sure. A lot of poverty. I was yes. I was yes. really stu- stunned. I mean, it's where they grow all the winter vegetables and and uh, people work awfully hard. But yes. there was really a lot of poverty there. There is. Yeah. There is. They had they uh, surprisingly enough they were not um, short of water because mm-hmm. they had an agreement. Uh, to use Colorado, Colorado River water, but I don't know if that held up after. I'm the wondering change. now if yeah. they, there's a lot of fight over the Colorado right there now. Is. What's left of it? <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah, we. I took my daughters on a short trip uh, this summer. We went down to that area, and we actually saw the Salton Sea, and yes. we read all about how it was formed, and and I thought, wow, that's. That it shouldn't even be here, you know. It's, it's, is the is the river? Is, I think it's the new river that runs into yeah. the Salton Sea and it flows upstream. Flo- kind, flows, it seems I don't, like yeah, it, yeah. And, but you can just see it's and there's signs everywhere. Do not go in the water. Do not go in the water. It's too, it's too salty. You know, you wanted to walk on it. Yes, you know, yes. And pretend you were Jesus, but uh, it didn't happen. So, so. Who appointed you to to or or did you judges sometimes get appointed? They sometimes run. Explain explain that difference. Well, um, yeah, if you want to run for election, then you then you're elected uh, for a six year term. I was uh, appointed by Governor Schwarzenegger. I uh, was happy being county council. Um, my my uh, first wife passed away due to cancer, and so I was kind of. Uh, uh, struggling a bit, but I had some friends and um, a judge or two in YOLO that uh, suggested I apply for an upcoming Mm -hmm. vacancy. And um, so I did, and somehow that slipped through Governor Schwarzenegger's uh, (laughs) uh, judicial secretary, and uh, I got appointed. That was in uh, March of 2006. And uh, juvenile court the whole time? No, I started out um, my colleagues on the bench realized my limitations right <laughs> out of the chute, and they had me do um, adult and juvenile drug court for six months. Then I was in um, adult criminal court doing felonies and misdemeanors for a year and then misdemeanor trials for the next year. And then I had a choice. Your friend Judge Rosenberg was a PJ, and he said, uh, Basha, do you want to be a juvenile court judge or you want to do civil? And since I'd spent most of my career, a legal career, in civil, I said, I'll do juvenile. Mm-hmm. And I actually loved it. And the attorneys took a while. They had to teach me. Sure. But uh, I actually enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I mean, um, I felt, as I think I said earlier, that there was hope for families, mm-hmm. for kids. Yeah. And that uh, my it, it was it's a different kind of approach presiding over juvenile court than adult criminal. Um, uh, and there was um, a different expectation and a different approach with the attorneys. I think the attorneys were, were much more, um, um, I won't say collegial, but they were much more uh, working together mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to try to figure out the right thing to right. help these children uh, and their parents in dependency court 
and to help the kids and really actually the families in uh, delinquency court too. Do superior court judges have, in your estimation, enough discretion or too much discretion? Um, I don't think they have, I think there's a balance, mm -hmm. honestly. I think on some things, um, and I was told by an appellate court judge, in juvenile court, we're pretty much going to let you, we're going to follow what you say unless we view it as a serious abuse of right. discretion. Right. And there, there is, in adult criminal, there's, for example, for sentencing. Right. You have three choices. And, uh, and so it, it, that's somewhat um, ordained. Uh, as to what you have to choose, and there you'll get a recommendation from the probation department. There's a little bit of that in juvenile, but a lot of it depends on the particular circumstances, mm -hmm. depends on the judge working with the attorneys, trying to get a sense of what is, is best going to, first of all, in delinquency, public safety, but then what right. is going to help right. uh, the, the minor. Right. Um, Which ultimately... What happens to that minor will ultimately involve public safety because they're going to be walking among us. And um, sadly, we can't help everyone. Yep. And I, I used to, I kind of like baseball, if, uh, if three out of ten kids turned it around and made started making good choices in delinquency court, I felt like that was... Uh, pretty much the best we could do. doesn't start, stop us from trying. Right. And the same thing in dependency. If three out of ten families are reunited, then I view that as good. Or if some of those are adopted into good families. So, right, right. we, uh, you know, and I think that's <clears throat> for some judges, and I was told that most judges could do juvenile for only three years because of the emotional toil. Mm -hmm. Emotional toil. Um I've been doing it about 13, so that tells you where I am. <laughs> I guess I haven't figured out the emotional toll yet. Well, I, I, I every time I, I, I think about you or, or my friend Dave Rosenberger or, or any of the other, you know, I know a lot of them, I hap happen to sit with uh, um, a couple of judges at the last Red Mass dinner, and, and I just think, it, I imagine being in the chair, and I imagine having to make these decisions about people's lives, you know, and there's, there's that kind of bleeding heart, uh, side of you. And then there's the, not the vindictive side, but the, the, the one that you, you, you certainly want to do right by public safety and Absolutely. you be, feel horrible if you let the bleeding heart, let somebody out that shouldn't be out and, and they hurt somebody else. Um, are there, if if you had uh, czar like powers, are there are there fixes you would make to the legal system? Are there things that you say eh, that doesn't work very well? I don't think. Well, I think one of the things that used to frustrate me in adult court because uh, I told you I was I did uh, adult drug court. We would I would send somebody to prison the first time for two years, and I was pretty well certain that because of substance abuse. I was going to see them again in probably you know 12 to 18 months, and then I'd send them for four years. And I guess the one thing that and I think there, I think um, the state has been trying to fix it. We need to focus more on rehabilitation of those that have um, substance abuse issues, maybe mental health issues, mm -hmm. um, and and I think Yolo has and I. I know this is true for Sacramento, too, because I know the judge who is, um, has been overseeing it. They're trying to address those differently um, to uh, give uh, the, uh, those that have substance, substance abuse issues extra help without um, um, punishing them mm -hmm. and you know, giving them a chance to fix it. And the same with mental health. I know the governor just signed a bill about mental health courts. We've had one in Yolo County for, well, since about uh, 2013. Hmm. And that, uh, I think, has had some measure of success. It's limited because right. of the limits on county services that mm -hmm. could be provided. Um, and I know Sacramento has had that. So those kinds of things, now when we're talking about 
much more serious offenses, you know, rape, assault, murder, uh, first-degree burglary, those kinds of things, um, there is a consequence. There has to be yeah, a consequence yeah. for public safety. But then maybe there's a way to help them. And when you talk about the Exodus project, mm -hmm. that's one way when they get out so that you can maybe give those people a chance um, at redemption, rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't go work for everyone, Bob. Yeah. Um, and sometimes we need to have prisons, and um, uh, we will always need those. So I, as far as court, um, perhaps some resources that would be available to judges to have those options, at least on a, on a, on a particular case, mm -hmm. for those kinds of services, even more than is being done now in uh, at least the counties, the courts that I'm familiar with, Yolo and Sacramento would be helpful. Is there is there serious rehabilitation in prison, whether we're talking about adult or juvenile? I think there's a serious effort in juvenile, at least what I've seen. I don't know about adult, although what I read is there's an effort more toward that mm -hmm. than there used to be. And then, as you know, uh, they've because of the overcrowding in state prisons, they sent them back to the county and I'm familiar with, at least in Yolo County, they have a program available to inmates that helps them um, rehabilitate and learn some skills that could serve them well um, outside of uh, custodial status. I presume it varies a lot from state to state. I would, I would presume that as well. And yet, what? 98% of the people in prison today are one day going to be out in society, something like that. I don't know. What, At least what for the a short is. period of time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, for a short period of time sometimes. But, I mean, the, the, the rate of recidivism is, is so high. And obviously, that means somebody else got hurt. In some yes, way, in some way, you know, it's 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 more than just well, this is a bad person and he did it again and now he's going to be back in. He's, it's affected us. Yes, and I mean, I don't know how you ever get it down to zero or even near zero. I don't think you ever could. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that's really the challenge for courts. I think it's a challenge for um, our government to how to assess who is rehabilitative and who is not and uh, we make mistakes um, and but we do the best we can and you know we base it on the, the information we have available as judges I know that for a fact we we carefully consider what's right and try to do it um, and I think that's true for um, you know those in the counties that probation departments district attorneys public defenders, other defense attorneys, they're all trying to do what's right. And um, in my case, in juvenile court, the attorneys I used to have, they, uh, in, in, I had a regular series of attorneys in, uh, in Yolo, and they inspired me because um, they were so committed to doing what's right but to helping the people that they were representing. And that was true for the deputy district attorneys. Mm -hmm. That was true for the deputy county counsel who was representing Child Protective Services. They're all trying to do what's right. Sometimes the resources are not there. If you had it to do all over again, would you would you want to be a judge from the get go? <laughs> uh, when I when I first when I was county counsel, I used to advise the supervisors say, here's what I think you ought to do. You have this choice and this right. choice. I didn't have to make the decision. Yeah, right. When I became a judge, I had <laughs> yeah. to make the decision. That's a lot harder. Yeah. And when I first was a judge, um, I would have, I would have, if, if uh, the county would said, hey, we want to give you your county council job back, I probably would have done it. Mm -hmm. um, but the more I got into juvenile court, the more I appreciated that opportunity. Um, would I want to? No. I think the fact that I had a history as a teacher, as, as a, uh, an attorney, as a parent, um, as um, uh, people in my family had substance abuse issues, 
uh, as a husband of uh, a lady who had terminal cancer. I think it made me uh, more effective, mm -hmm. more mm -hmm. appreciative that the people in front of me were facing life uh, challenges too. Yeah, yeah. Very well put. So did you did you ever use your uh, baseball coaching experience in court? I'm trying to think. Um, well, my baseball coaching experience was to give the ball to the All-State pitcher. <laughs> <That's> so, <right. laughs> so that was a little different. Um, no, I think I would be a better coach. Well, technically, not, not, not at all. But from a standpoint of understanding the kids in front of me or on the team, I'd be better now than I was because I've been a parent. Sure. I've been sure. a step-parent. Sure. Um, so, no, I don't think I ever used that. But every now and then, some analogy, sports-related, would Comes come up. up sure. But not because of my yeah. experience. You know, this year, Yolo County had a, uh, a kid that went in the – a pitcher that went in the first round of the Major League Draft. Uh, he pitched at Woodland High School. He lives in the Cape Bay Valley. Yeah. But Cooper yeah. Chirpy, he uh, uh, pitched at, at Davis High School. His, his dad grew up in Davis. Davis High wanted him. Yeah. But – they lived in the Cape Hay Valley, and it was too long of a uh, too long of a drive, so he went to Woodland. Okay. Then he pitched for Oregon State, and just the, just whenever the draft was a couple months, uh, July I think he first round by the Cardinals. Well, so. remember we had my daughter's high school class had uh, a young man who was drafted in the first round by the Giants, um, Tony Torcato. Yes, right. Right. And uh, and in Woodland we had Dustin we Dustin Pedroia Dustin we Pedroia. claimed him even yep. though he may not claim Woodland That's anymore. That's right. And I think Win Winters had uh, Rich Childs and uh, Davis High had long ago Ron Bryant. Yes. Who one time won twenty five games for the Giants in a season. And and probably pitched more complete games than they, yeah. they do now. Oh, nobody nobody throws a complete game anymore. Uh, Drives me crazy. I, yeah, it is. I, I look at. Uh, Sandy Koufax, you know, and, and uh, never threw a ball at a batter intentionally and uh, would regularly strike out 13, 14. Wouldn't pitch on Yom Kippur, you know, just right. just even if it was in the World Series, which it always was, you know. Right. And just a stand-up guy would, would pitch on three days rest, you know. It's just it's different. Always a complete game almost. Right. Well, yeah. he retired because of a bad elbow, though, and yeah, a bad, right. bad arm. But he had a he – Teammate Don Drysdale, Don Drysdale who yeah. threw at everybody, it threw at everybody, and still, and right. still won twenty five <laughs> games. That's right. Well, most of them did, I think, throw it, throw it. Uh, matters now they get that stern warning. That's you know, true. Yeah. So. Well, I before you go, I I have to ask you one more question. The committee right. committee wanted me to ask you this question about the dinner. <laughs> Do you want the the beef or the chicken or the vegetarian option? Well, you know, I'm not used to making those significant decisions. <laughs> I probably would go with either chicken or vegetarian All because right. my wife and I will share dinners. I, if I take chicken, she'll have vegetarian, oh, yeah, and then we'll share. My wife and I do the same thing. Yeah. Do the same thing. Well, so. well it's so good to have you here. Congratulations you. On, on this Thank award. You. Uh, you're very humble, but I know it's well-deserved because I've, I've heard from the committee. And, uh, well, I've, um, I've, I'm a little concerned about the committee membership. And well, they, they, may, they, they, they may all lose their jobs. <laughs> <laughs> they may. <laughs> it will be good to see you on, on November 2nd. All right. Thank you very much, Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Your Honor. Appreciate it. That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for listening. God bless everyone. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at their thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the, the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916 916- 
972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrus Heights. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and longstanding support of the Bishop's Hour. We'd like to thank all the wonderful people and organizations, uh, businesses in town uh, and throughout the Diocese of Sacramento who have provided underwriting for the Bishop's Hour. Uh, some in the last few years, some uh, have been with us for a very long time. If you would like to be an underwriter for the Bishop's Radio Hour, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to, to support this mission and also to support the diocese and also uh, to get some uh, recognition for uh, your organization or for your business. The easiest way to do this is to uh, give us a shout, send us an email, radio at scd.org, and we can give you all the details about uh, helping to underwrite the Bishop's Radio Hour. Again, that's radio at scd.org. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the Mercy Foundation, enriching lives in the Sacramento region through Sisters of Mercy Ministries in health care, education, housing, and the care for the poor and elderly. For the Mercy Foundation, philanthropy is one of the most powerful expressions of compassion and love. Just as many people in our community need a hand, Countless others are reaching out to them with comfort and hope. You can express your care and concern for the less fortunate with a gift to the Mercy Foundation. Uh, you can give them a call, 916-851-2700. That's 916-851-2700. And you can be confident that fully 100% of your contribution will support the Sisters of, ministry, of Mi Mercy Ministry or ministries that you choose. And what a wonderful treasure Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts has been for all of us here in the diocese as they uh, uh, transition uh, into uh, uh, new ownership and management. Uh, they continue to offer wonderful workshops, wonderful uh, uh, resources for the Catholic community throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Not only does Easter's provide a wide array of Catholic books, both current releases and longtime classics, but they also sponsor a number of valuable workshops and lectures throughout the year. They're, they're located at 6916 Sunrise Boulevard in Citrus Heights. Give them a call, 916-338-7272. We also receive a generous underwriting support by Crumley & Associates, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. If you have questions about retirement, Crumley & Associates can help you with their confident retirement approach that can help define a clear roadmap to get you where you want to go. You can uh, contact them, get all the details at Crumley & Associates, 7956 California Avenue in Fair Oaks. They're at 916-638-4600. That's 916-638-4600. And we uh, are, are certainly uh, appreciative of the uh, fine and uh, longstanding support of the Mercy Foundation, of Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts, and of Crumley and Associates. 